Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up, and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hello, and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. It's producer Harry here once again. Now, just give me a few minutes to set the scene, because this has got to be the craziest podcast interview we've done in almost six years of doing the show. So this interview is with the secret first son of the notorious drug lord, Pablo Escobar. The Philip Whipcomb, who refers to himself as Roberto Santoya Escobar, claims to be the first son of Pablo Escobar. His story recently went viral. He's just written a book about um, his journey and his story. And he's been all over the BBC, Sky, lots of different media outlets, and everyone talking about his story. So his story is, you know, he was fathered by Pablo Escobar in secret. And as a kid, he eventually was adopted and grew up in the UK. And it wasn't until he was 24 till he found out who his real father was. And in the interview, uh, he gets into all the details about what happened. So we agreed to do the interview. And about a week or so before the interview, things went really crazy. Things that in almost six years of doing the show, it just it hasn't happened before. Lots of information was being leaked to us and people getting in touch claiming that um, Philip made the story up. There was um, inaccuracies with the story and all, all this information started trickling in. So doing a lot of research into this interview, we were left very confused and kind of in an, an awkward position. We were left with either should we cancel the interview or should we go ahead? And a lot of you who voted in um, Rob's Facebook community polls decided, no, you should go ahead and still do this interview. This isn't Rob's or the podcast style to expose people. That's not what this platform and this podcast has ever been about. But we kind of did want to get to the root of what was going on here because there was clearly bigger things happening in the background than a normal podcast interview. So what I would encourage you guys to do is sit down, listen, and tell us what you think. Do you think what Philip is saying in this interview is legitimate and correct and his story stacks up and makes sense and you believe it? Or do you think that this isn't what it seems? Like I said, we've never done a podcast interview like this at all. We've never done any interview like this at all. And this is completely different and unique for us. So let us know what you think. It's best that we don't put our opinion on you. You can make up your own mind of what you think of this. Now, obviously, this is something really weird and completely different to anything we've ever done on the podcast. So if you like it, let us know. Maybe we could end up doing more content like this, you know, outside of just entrepreneur and business people, but going down this route. So let us know what you think. Also, this interview has kind of opened a lot of doors and a lot of other things have come out. So make sure that you're staying tuned to this podcast because there is going to be a lot more discussion with this particular story and other content coming out. So just stay tuned. We also have a YouTube channel where we produce lots of videos uh, from our podcast to Rob doing some content as well. So if you want to see the video version of this particular interview, head over to Rob Moore on YouTube and subscribe. Also, we made a behind the scenes video of the chaotic 24 hours before about what went on behind the scenes and the whole day doing this interview. So if that's something you want to see, again, head over to Rob Moore on YouTube and subscribe for that. 
Right, that's enough from me, so let's just get straight into the interview with the secret son of Pablo Escobar. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Hi, it's Rob Moore here. And yeah, there's been a lot of noise about this interview. And I'm very grateful that um, Roberto Sendoya Escobar, um, also um, known as Philip Whitcomb, but for the sake of this discussion, um, we're going to talk to him in his original birth name, Roberto. Um, I guess you could say the secret son of Pablo Escobar in some ways. Um, so let's just get straight off, Roberto, if that's all right, because I'd love to hear the story from you. I know there's a lot of people making out shenanigans about your story, but you wrote the book, it's your story. Um, so why don't you tell us about the whole story? Give us your, as long as you want to go, your life story. Yeah, well, obviously, I'm not going to go 288 pages on your um, on your programs all, all straight away. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, interesting. Um, just to start off with, when I started writing the book, um, I mean, there are various stages. I mean, uh, it, I started making notes on bits of paper. There was no intention to write a book. I don't consider myself, if you like, to be a proper author. I'm just a sort of uh, ordinary person, if you like, that's decided that. To, to turn what I'd written in note form into a book. And I've had help, you know, I'm, I'm not the only person that's been involved in the book in the sense that you have editors and people, professionals who know how to put things and what have you in, in, all together. So um, it's encouraging for everyone out there. It's possible to sit down and write a book, even if you're not Enid Blyton, you know. So what I was saying was, what's interesting is that um, I, when I started uh, formulating all my notes into what, what we now see as a book, I did actually call it um, uh, A Secret Son. That was the, the original title, but uh, the publishers have decided it should be called something else, so that's fine. Um, so effectively, uh, a lot of the book is written um, uh, in various ways. So there's research, there's memories from my childhood, loads of photographs that I had from my childhood and research that the publishers, editors have done for me as well. So you put it all together and you've got a book. But that wasn't enough. We had to actually then fit in some to make it a story. There had to be some bits that were sort of logically obvious. There were conversations between people. But as we went there, kind of thing that's been added and fitted in. So there are bits of the book that have been added and fitted in. Yeah. I mean, it's a controversial book in several ways because it talks about um, the prequel to Narcos. So, you know, Narcos, which is one of the most successful stories, you know, that's been around in the last 10, 15 years or whatever it was. Um, it, it, this tells the story of how it all began. And of course, you know, um, you know, we've got um, involvement of British Secret Service uh, and, and American Secret Service in a in a foreign country, which is a typical situation that goes on, and 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 it's an involvement in 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 basically the printing of money for the country um, through a, a private limited company, which is a, a famous company, and um, th there are other things that go on in between. There are similarities as well to uh, some of Ian Fleming's stories as well, which is quite interesting. But I think that was the style of writing that I was thinking about, um, bearing in mind that uh, my dad. When I call him dad, my adopted father, who who was the MI6 spy, he he um, 
he, he in fact, um, his his boss in in De La Rue was actually new in Fleming. So there were there were similarities there. And the office in Regent Street was one of the one of the kind of you know when Bond walks in and throws his hat on the hat stand. It was there. There are similarities there. But yeah, I mean, throughout my childhood, none of us knew nothing. And none of my family knew what Dad was up to. He was just a managing director of um, of a British security firm uh, working abroad. And this is why, you know, um, you get, uh, you know, a lot of people would think it's so incredulous that it must be just a load of rubbish. But it isn't. It's all it's all true. I mean, obviously, as I said before, there are bits in the book you have to fill in some gaps because you can't just say things without filling in the gaps. You've got to tell a story. But yeah, the story effectively has come about by the fact that um, I've had this sort of weird childhood and, and some quite traumatic experiences. Uh, and I'm not the only one to have ex traumatic experiences in the world. You know, a lot of people do have these problems. And, and I had these traumatic experiences and memories. And there came a moment in time in my life when I was living on the Costa del Sol um, in 1989 when my adopted father decided he had to tell me some things and it and it started from there where a lot of stuff in my childhood became explained uh because the stuff that happened that i hadn't hadn't had explained to me properly and uh, so we had these conversations and um you know it all culminated from there and it took a long time to fill all the gaps in and even today i i, I don't have all the answers so it's not going to be pretending I have all the answers because I don't have them all today. I mean, it's very difficult to write a book like this because you, you just don't have all the answers. You don't have all the memories. You just have as much as you possibly can and you put, put as much of it you can together. And uh, this is what's happened. You end up with a book like this. And it is treading on eggshells and, you know, it goes through a minefield without blowing up mines. And, and you know, and some people get upset by, you know, the, some of the things that are said, but I try and try not to implicate anyone though, in in the things that my adopted father did and the things that he got on up to in within the confounds of his job. I mean, um, it's just like a Bond thing where he went down to another country with with this cover story as a, as a security personnel officer for a, for a British firm, and but he was they were doing other stuff. It is quite common. It goes on today. Um, and, and, and effectively, they, they helped uh, uh, make uh, the country that, that exists today and they helped and they, they did a lot of good in the country. But, you know, to get involved in find out where all this money was going and everything else that's in the book, they had to, they being not effectively uh, my adopted father, they, he had to get involved with these people. And, and uh, that's what the story is about. Uh, and well, most of it's about what he told me. And, um, and that's fine. And, you know, what can I say? It's uh, the, mo the most important thing here is, you know, you pay your fourteen ninety nine and you enjoy the book as a story uh, and don't get too hung up about stuff because it, although it's based on the, my true life that I remember, you know, it, it's, it's important that you just in, enjoy the book as a story. And um, if there's any controversy, well, you know, uh, the people involved, um, you know, just just. Just enjoy the book. That's what I'm saying. Uh, quite a large portion of my income from the book, I won't say how much, obviously, is going to help, uh, you know, children within families in the UK that are suffering from problems like that. I mean, I really was one of the main reasons to do this because I was trying to readdress the situation that, um, that went on in Colombia that basically launched the cocaine trade.
um, not not opium and all that came from the east. You know, the drugs have been going on for a lot longer. But the mm. the, the cocaine trade that we recognise uh, today is, you know, all started back then in Colombia, really. So that conversation that your um, adopted father had with you, um, I know you, you know there's a lot of common questions you probably got asked, and I won't yeah, go sure. on those because we'll make it different. But can you take us through that timeline? Uh, you know, what he told you in terms of who he really is and, you know, what the um, events that unfolded were when he sat down and told you and how old were you? Yeah, so it was it was 1989, so I was 24. But there's a lot of complicated issues around even that question, uh, which I do answer in the book. I've got time. Yeah, I know what you're ed ed edging at, but uh, the book answers. No, you don't. Book. You don't know what I'm edging at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't born yesterday, you know. Uh, but uh, what I'm trying to say to you is that um, it is a very complicated story, and I've tried to explain it as best as possible in the book. It's perfectly reasonable for you to ask the questions, though. And there, there are some things that you, when you're writing a book, you you have to hook your memory onto something. And I remember that we went to see uh, Full Metal Jacket that first night. So obviously now we've got Google and that. You can research when that came out of the cinema in Madrid and stuff. And so that helps you with dates and times. So when you're researching, thank goodness now we've got the internet to help us. Um, because when I started this, there was no, there, I didn't have any of that. So it was all just memories and postcards and notes and stuff. And so it was a lot more difficult than it as in the last sort of six years where I was able to, um, uh, what I was able to be, I was well enough because I suffered a lot of mental health problems trying to go back into to my childhood and um, it was only in the last six years that I've actually been able to sit down and type on a modern laptop um, uh, to, to, to write the book so but effectively uh, to answer your question in a simplistic manner um, there were a set of circumstances happening in Colombia whereby this chap called Pablo Escobar Gavira um, uh, was getting himself into trouble by now, um, to put it mildly. And uh, and also in Madrid, my adopted father was not well, although he hadn't told us. Um, and the, so a culmination of circumstances where he decided it was best to come clean and talk to me. I think he was going to anyway at some stage, but there were things... Um, that I needed answered questions to. And we started this conversation and, and um, it, it, it went on for, you know, until he died effectively. Um, uh, and so from the age of 24, living in Sota Grande on the southern coast of Spain, I was designing a golf course with Peter Alice on the Costain land. And so we were out there. He was saying, you know, where he wanted stuff. And being an artist, I could draw it for him. And we had a lot of fun doing that. And then I get this phone call. Um, as you know, the Costa del Sol in the 80s was um, a pretty wild west place of it anyway. And there's all the sort of uh, drug money being laundered there. And um, But, you know, I was just there designing his golf courses. And Dad, Dad called me and said, yeah, I need to talk to you. And it started there. And I went up. And um, we went out to to, um, to watch the movie, and then he, he started talking to me about his life, not about me. It was more about his life to start with, and the, what he was doing and stuff, and um, what he was doing in karate, for example, you know, and uh, talking to me about the BCCI business and um, 
it was all quite incredible. Uh, but, you know, there were things that rang true and I could just identify with some of the things because he'd say things like, you know, when I went away that Christmas and we went, I wasn't with the family. It's, oh, you remember that? And you say, oh, well, I was, uh, you know, I went to Panama and I had to see this guy. And you remember that guy on the golf course? So we went through this sort of conversation, identifying moments where I was present. Uh, and and then him explaining to me stuff about about my life. So it's a long drawn out process. It's not some simplistic overnight thing. Um, but it, effectively, he felt that my life was not um, as safe as it should be at that time because of this other guy who who, who was losing control of his business. Now, when Dad said to me, you know, your real father, you know, because you know you're adopted, and your real father is Pablo Escobar Gabriel, I didn't even know he was. You know, we didn't have internet in the Costa del Sol then. We didn't have tablets and phones that we could all, we all had this knowledge. We had Gibraltar TV, which is two years behind everywhere else. And uh, we just lived this, well, a life that was totally different then. Now, you know, eight-year-old kids know everything. It's all on Google. But um, back then we didn't know. So it just didn't mean a lot to me. So there was a lot of explaining to do. And, and even then, it was just sort of the, this mystery man that we met in Medellin once a year. So it wasn't this big thing, you know, and we hadn't had narcos. There wasn't this big news um, about this person. So it wasn't the dramatic thing that you might imagine today, someone telling you that. It just wasn't that. It was just a, a, a person. And, you know, Dad gave me some paperwork, and I just sort of shrugged my shoulders and went, okay. And he said, well, you know, I'm going to put some bodyguards at your house. And, and he did. Before I got back down to Sosa Grande, which is a flight from Madrid down to um, Malaga, by the time I'd driven down the 340 to Sosa Grande, I had guards at the house. And uh, uh, we started paid for group four, and it was just um, back to the old days, effectively. So, um, and it was from there that he started coming down to see me, and we carried on the conversations and so on. And 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 you know, that was it was not as simple as it sounds. It was, it was a long term uh, relationship with my adopted father that I started building with him again because I I hadn't seen him for a while. You know, it was a, a relationship that I started to get to know him. And I noticed he had a, a withered hand, a bit withered, and started talking to him about that. And it turns out that he, you know, he'd got motor neurone disease, but we didn't really know that at the time. But it was obvious he wasn't well. So that's where it started. And um, but it wasn't this, oh, you know, this drug lord or anything, because we didn't know about these things. We just didn't have that knowledge in those days. So you said you um, you'd be taken to Colombia to see him once a year, but you didn't know who he was then. Is that what you just said? No, I wasn't. No, 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 no. I wasn't taken to Colombia once a year. We were living in Colombia. Hi, it's Rob here, interrupting you with something you may not know about me. I was one of the few people on the planet hand-selected by Facebook to pilot their new supporter program. It's a very small premium model where you can get exclusive content and advance notice or discount of new products and services. So this is what I've done for you. Not only can you get best discounts, for any training that we might run. Not only do you get notified first of any launches we do, we also do supporter meetups, supporter dinners, supporter WhatsApp groups where you have a, a deeper community. I do supporter only ask me anythings. I do supporter only content and podcasts. We have a community of 2,500 supporters and I'd love to give you the chance to be one of those. I believe this is the best supporter program in the whole world. Find me a better one, but I don't think you will. 
So the link is bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. That's bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. I believe the gap between free content and paid content is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's a lot of free content out there that's maybe not that good. And for just a few dollars a month, you can get the best content on business, on entrepreneurship, on starting up, on scaling up, on sales, on marketing, on the mindset of being an entrepreneur. So go to bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R right now. And 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 um, in in the book, um, you will note that we used to once a year during my childhood, whilst we were living in Colombia, we used to go to Medellin, and we used to see, we used to go to this ballroom, and in and and in this big hotel in Medellin, and in this big hotel was where I used to meet this chap, but I didn't know who he was. It was just something that happened. I've described it in detail in the book, and um, you know. Uh, it, it was it was just part of my childhood. It was like you know you have to go and sit there with these people. But I had bodyguards, and I always felt safe. My bodyguards were my friends. They became my friends. It was um, you know they were just nice guys, and um, it's a shame one of them got killed. But um, that's you know it's all described in the book how that happened and why. And then, but and yeah, this is obviously what I'm trying. I just want you to sort of relax a bit because I'm not trying to like catch you out or anything. Um, yeah. I'm trying to get sort of a journey of the story because obviously it is really complicated as you've said it is complicated. you know your real dad your, your adopted dad because you said you didn't see your dad for a while and i guess that's your adopted no, that's, dad. yeah my sorry you're right my it, so you know i'm uh, so you know in when i'm like uh, 70 18 you know i left boarding school and i went to live with my parents in in walton on thames my my adopted parents um uh permanently and they sent me to art school and uh, dad uh went off to do his missions he was still working and right. uh and and, and, and no, I thought he was still working for Delarue and he went up to Beijing Stoke and that, but he used to swan off, you know, all over the place. And yeah. so I didn't really see him very often. So my life was basically the local rugby club, working a pub in the evening to earn some extra cash and art college during the day. That was my life. And, you know, yeah. I had a little Honda C50 and I used to whiz about and uh, play rugby on Saturday. So I had this normal, what you might call a normal life. And, and you know, my adopted mother was at home and my adopted sister worked in the hospital up the road and we just had this life but dad was always swanning off doing stuff so when i said i didn't really get i didn't know him very well because he, he you know i was at boarding school and then right. i come home to live as an 18 year old and he's off doing all these other things but he sent me postcards from wherever he was and i have postcards from medellin from that time when he was off you know, send me postcards from there. So I used to collect all the postcards, which I suppose were the WhatsApp messages of their day, and they were all dated and stamped, which is very useful for when you're writing a book. Otherwise, they don't mean much. But, um, yeah, so the timeline there is that was the time when I thought, oh, well. And then when I started talking to him again, when he was become more available, he wasn't working for De La Rue anymore. He's, he was working for Brinks in Madrid, but he was still doing stuff. And um, that's when we started getting to know each other again. So there was a rejuvenation of uh, our relationship, which was very nice. But it's a shame it didn't last very long. Mm. And why do you think he told you when he did? Well, the, the timing is quite simple. Um, and uh, now, But I look back now and think, oh, well, that's obvious. 
but at the time is you there's no explanation as to why but uh you, you if you look back you'll see in 1989 there was a bit of an issue and don pablo ended up in a in this so-called prison of his in the cathedral and um and you know the the empire was falling to pieces and 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 dad obviously you know is fully aware of all this i mean i don't have all the answers but uh it it's obvious that um you know, after he told me that, um, you know, there are problems with your real father and I need to put security in your house, I, I can obviously put two and two together and understand that there must have been some kind of um, don't mess with anyone in that family and now there's no control or such. Um, it's all logical. I'm putting it together. Two and two equals four. Obviously, he sees now that any, you know, anyone involved in the family or the or the gang, if you like, is all dispersed and, you know, he's on his own in this uh, in this place with a few of his um, henchmen and that's it uh, so the great empire is crumbling and anyone related to him is probably in a bit of danger but I didn't perceive any of that um, it was, I'm just getting on with my life it's a bit difficult to see how I could see my life it was actually I didn't see any of this it was dad that saw this and because for years, people have been asking me where I buy my watches. Many of you may know I'm a watch collector, I'm a watch investor, and those as an asset class have done me very well in the last 15 years. I have never shared where I source my watches from or my watch dealer until now. My watch dealer used to be a professional footballer for Manchester United, and he formed a watch brand called Broadwalk, and he sources the higher-end brands like Rolex, Audemars Piguet, Patek Philippe and Richard Mille. I trust him, I've used him for many years, and recently we've done a partnership. Hence, I'm inviting you, if you want to start investing in watches and protect your money from the banks and inflation, to check out Broadwalk. That's B-R-O-A-D-W-A-L-K. And the website is broadwalkgroup.com. The email is sales at broadwalkgroup.com. And please don't share this, but his number is 07496. 878153. Obviously, only message him if you're serious about buying and investing in the higher end watches. People have been asking me for years, and for the first time ever, you can get access to my watch team. Obviously, he was still busy on Operation Durazno, which was tracking and effectively providing the information for these services to go in, and they did in the end, and they went in and got all their money back when they raided Panama. Right. So earlier you said, um, you know, there was some trauma in your childhood. Um, but of course, back then you didn't know who your real dad was. Um, no. So are you okay to talk about what was causing you, you know, trauma and issues when you were growing up? Yeah. So when I was, I still get these problems today. I mean, they're not massive problems now because I've become more able to understand them uh, because that's one of the therapeutic processes is to write it all down on paper or, or computer, or whatever you want. Uh, it doesn't have to be a book, but get it out of your head and write it down. If it's explained in a linear format, it helps your mental health problems. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the very early days, I hardly ever went a night without nightmares and screaming and shouting and, and all sorts of problems very early, early on. And um, they, these were never explained to me. And and in these conversations I had with Dad, he, you know, I kept saying to him, why, what, why, why did I keep thinking about several things? You know, so these aren't massive memories. So I don't want anyone to think, oh yeah, well it's impossible for him to remember all that. You're right, it is impossible. Uh, but you'd be surprised what a child, even very young, absorbs into their brain. And and I absorbed these horrific 
flashy memories. They're only very, very small, you know, second type memories uh, where I remember, for example, a lime green wall with paint peeling off it. And I remember a milk bottle on a ledge with some bars there. And I, I remember a, a woman lying or in front of me somewhere. I don't know where now. It's not really very clear uh, uh, in a red dress. And I, and, and I remember just very loud bangs. And that's all I remember from that period. Uh, but it created these, you know, wake up two in the morning screaming and frightened. And so I presume they were flashbacks to a very early time. And eventually I coached it out of dad, what he, he, he explained what he thought those were. And that's why um, the opening chapter of the book is, was, is a very emotional tale of just filling in gaps. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't write down something that happened in that time without filling in the gaps because you, it's just little flash memories. And then dad explained to me that, you know, what happened and how they found this little baby in the back of this room and um, that that baby was me. And, they, they, you know, he, he had been with this woman who said she was my mother. Uh, when she died, it turns out she was a young girl and her dress was actually covered in blood. So that must have been what I was having a nightmare about. But, you know, I can't guarantee that's what it was. But that's, you have to put stuff together like that because it's the only way you can deal with explaining things. So that's how I dealt with that, by putting that together in that. And it does equal, you know, it did equal my, my nightmares, the explanation. Dad mm. did not want to tell me about that. I had to really, you know, I, I badgered him about that for a long time. It was not good. He didn't want to talk about it. Being yeah. a secretive man anyway, you know, it's hard to get stuff out of these people. They are professional um, secret hiders. You know, they hide secrets very well in the back of their head. And uh, he was able to compartmentalize his life into two halves. You know, he was able to be this guy that worked for the Secret Service, and he was able to be uh, just a lovely family man as well. So those people that knew him back then, and I'm answering some critics now, those people that knew Dad back in Colombia, they only knew the nice businessman the nice guy who was the 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 family man and you know that's that's the only guy they knew they didn't know this other stuff so yes it is incredible to imagine that this went on but i mean that is the point of the secret service this whole word secret is what it means you know you are able to infiltrate places and organizations without anybody knowing who you are in fact if you get found out you're likely to get killed so they have to be very good at their jobs and they are today for sure mm. so how would you say, Roberto, your life was and is different before you knew who your real dad is and after and now you know who your real dad is? Because that must almost be like two yeah. separate lives in a way. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the life that someone from the outside looking in wouldn't see any different because I'm just a kid at art college or I just went to school. But it, on, the, on the outside, it looks like I'm a spoiled um, rich kid living the, the expat lifestyle with wealthy people all around me uh, and going to private school that cost a fortune and, you know, getting jetting around across the Atlantic all over the shop, you know, and all the rest of it. And then and then I go to art, private art college in London paid for, you know, so it looks like I've got this amazing uh, private, privilege, upper, upper class privileged lifestyle, which you know, I did have really, um, and then and then and then um, I just carry on, and I've got work on the Costa del Sol as a graphic designer. So it doesn't look on the surface that there are these two separate issues, but in my head, 
once I find out, I knew I was adopted, obviously, because they told me, um, which is quite a sort of uh, weird, surreal experience, because I didn't know what the word adopted meant. I, you know, I was quite young, and it was quite weird. Uh, 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 but when they, when that tells me this, yes, you're right, I, in my head, not that anyone else would have noticed, but in my head, suddenly my life is, I, I view my own life in a totally different way after that. It, it, it just really weird. Um, so what was it like? It was suddenly like discovering that you, you've lived this whole life and then suddenly you discover that you've got this whole other life that you could have lived, but you didn't. And it's uh, very, very weird. Um, not that it made any difference. I still got up in the morning, got on my Honda C50 and off to art college. You know, you still do that. But there's this weird thing in your head thinking, crikey, um, I'm not the person I thought I was. Um, not you can't do anything about it. I mean, what can you do? You just get on with your life. And, yeah. But you know, when, uh, uh, so when I was going off to art college and that, I just I just knew that I had a strange child. It wasn't normal as such, but I didn't know anything then. I just remember all these weird experiences. And then so later on, when I've sort of got a family and everything, and Dad tells me stuff, I suddenly realised that it's all a bit serious, you know. But I was coming to terms with massive other traumas in my life that that overshadowed that. So to everyone else who reads the book, yeah. So people reading the book think, oh, well, that must be the most amazing, you know, thing that's happening in his life, and how is he coping with that? I wasn't dealing with that at the time. I was dealing with, you know, my wife who um, was, you know, had this terrible headaches, and um, uh, and so so, you know, I've got a couple of years in in between when Dad tells me and when my wife starts getting ill. And it was terrible because we're just sitting on the patio in our house in Sotter Grande and she got up one, one afternoon uh, to go and get some more drinks from the fridge and she started walking around in circles. And I just, I, I, I thought she'd had a bit too much pims, to be honest. And, um, it, you, know, I, you know, I've got my life set up, got my wife, the kids, my nice little house, we've got some money, we're okay. And suddenly this happens, and I, I, it turns out that she's got a brain tumour in her head the size of a tennis ball and about a week to live. And I just couldn't believe it. My whole life just fell to pieces. And then Dad's telling me this stuff. It's not really a priority, to be honest. Priority, shit, what am I going to do in my life? It's fallen to pieces. And so, obviously, Costa del Sol, 80s, I'm thinking, right, I need to get back to England. So, you know, it's, it was terrible. Uh, so, you know, suddenly money becomes short. I've got problems with my wife getting a tumour, and they've, the doctors have told me she's dying, you know, and all this shit going on. It's really, it was not good. And it caused my brain to just go bang, and I had... Uh, after she died um, in 93, I mean, oh, what a year. I mean, 93, dad dies of motor neuron disease, and I'm sat on his bed whilst he's dying, which will lead into another obvious question later. But uh, And then, then my wife dies, and I'm sat on her bed watching her die, which is a terrible experience. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, the news later on in December, bang, oh, that guy dad's telling me about it was my dad. Oh, he's been shot in the head. Bloody hell, what a year. And then it all just collapsed in on me, and I suffered really bad mental health problems, and I ended up in the water on the, on the actual, you know, on the uh, in, Ash, uh, in Ashford St. Peter's Hospital in, um, on, the, on the mental health ward, and I was very ill. And it took, you know, I don't know, a year, two, year and a half, whatever, to get better. I was very ill, not good. But I, I came out. 
it came out the other end, fighting fit. <laughs> so there's a couple of things I want to ask, but first on that, because I think that could be useful to people. How did you pull yourself out of that hole? How did you get yourself mentally better? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things doing what I'm doing now is don't be embarrassed by it, you know. Everybody has, everybody, including you, Rob, you would have suffered depression through your life somewhere along the line. If you haven't, you will do, I promise you. It, it is something that happens to everybody. We're living, we're sorry, mate. You know, we do live in a terrible world. Yeah, um, I get it. If, even if you've got millions, you will have problems that will get you depressed. Mm. And it's just the level of depression that, that, that you, 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 you will suffer is different in different people. I was great coping with everything and suddenly bang, it was like a massive implosion and poof. I was gone, you know. I started drinking and went in a big, went into a big downward spiral. And um, you know, my kids were being looked after by grandparents. It was all really bad news. How did I get out of it? Well, the uh, the trick is, you talk to people and you get people to help you. You don't man up and go, "Nothing wrong with me, Gov," because that doesn't work. You end up in, you end up dead. You have to talk to people and you have to accept their health, help. And of course, they put you on these tablets, you know, and the tablets almost as bad as the bloody problem. But apparently it works. And, you know, it took a long time. And, you know, um, you've got to talk to people, go to the therapy, do the thing, even though you don't want to and you think it's stupid. I don't need this, you know, all that. You just got to talk to people. And there's a whole team out there in, in England and UK and Surrey where I was, there's a whole team out there helping. And, you know, I had health visitors and everybody else. They all want you to succeed. No one's against you. And eventually I, I pulled out of it. But one of the things I had to do was I had to stop drinking alcohol and I had to stop smoking and, I, and, 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 and stop relying on the crutches of these. These are crutches that you rely on. Stop all that, turn it in, and, and, and just get clean and just, you know, get starting get realistic about life get do the school run get the sort of thing going you know and uh and then it starts to get better but it takes a long time and i'm not sure you properly recover from depression really and i know you don't recover from alcoholism properly you just got to stop drinking mm. uh, but it's still there there's still a time and i think mm, yeah large, large rum and coke go down nice but i'm obviously i say no but there's a moment you know and after dinner the best one after a sunday lunch is like, Yes, I could just do with a big fat Henry Winterman, you know. <laughs> but you just got to say no. You've got to control yourself and say no, and then I'm all right. But it, it does take a lot of strength, and it takes a lot of help from other people and friends, and you get through it. So out there, guys, you know, and girls, you will recover, but you've got to rely on other people. Don't 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 pretend you know how to deal with it all, because if you do, you will be in a lot of trouble, and a lot of people are. Right. So let's fast forward quite a few yeah. years. Um, you've had a load of media interest since you've released the book. So you released it. Can you first off just let us know when you released the book? Because it's quite recent, isn't it? Yeah, it was August the uh, ooh, August the sixth this yeah. year. So it's not, it's not been out long. There's a long Son process. Before you they, get a book. I, don't know, I don't know if you know what they called it, but it's called Son of Escobar, I believe. The book is that right? Yeah. So I called it uh, Secret Son. To start with, but it's a normal process. You know, you when you're writing, yeah. you. You have ideas, and then the professionals come along and they help you, and yeah. they've got all the marketing gear and all that. So, yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, and this is like a surprise, and it will be to a lot of people will be able to identify this when they write books. You write a book, and the publisher picks you up, and then you they do they take over. It's like a truck, you know, they, they go off and do all their stuff. 
And so they got this marketing team in, and then the next minute you've got your PR person telling you you've got a live at 10 o'clock and a 3 o'clock here and a 4 o'clock there, and before you know it, you don't know whether to have a shave or a shower. Uh, so, you know, that's what happens. Uh, so yeah. it wasn't my doing. It's the publishers do this, and they're very professional. So, you know, you hats off to them. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, we're talking about a book, which it, it, it is – it's a story about a little boy and his experiences, but the problem is his experiences touch on a lot of big sort of government secret stuff and all the rest of it. And so it causes controversy just because of that. And so, yeah. How since the book's out and all this media attention with critics and with people who are, you know, a fan of the book, how's that been? You know, how's your life changed well, in the last month? It, it has changed my life completely. You know, I used to self-promote myself with my paintings that you can see on the back, you know, or I'll have a Facebook page of my artwork and I'll have a Facebook page about this and about that, as we all do, because we're all like that, aren't we? We just want to promote our stuff, what we're doing. And then, and then suddenly it's like, well, wait a minute, there's this big truckload of machinery behind me promoting the book. I don't need this stuff anymore. So I just, so one of the first things I did was get rid of my Facebook pages. I've just got a private profile now and, uh, and Instagram and all that stuff. Actually, we've gone. And, Why? and Why'd you get rid of all that? Because you could sell more books, couldn't you, through all that? No, it doesn't sell more books. It just gives you, it takes up time during the day of people oh, okay. asking you questions. You get obsessed with it. You know how we're obsessed with, the, with our phones? You see everybody walking around doing this on the phones. You, yeah. It's like a mental disease. We all have to do it. When you hear ping, oh, that's a message. And so I'm thinking, right, I need to make space in my life for actual real things. You know, like you get rid of yeah. all this stuff because you end up with like 300 messages every 10 minutes. Of people who read the book or somebody this or somebody that are thinking, right, okay, I've got to get shot this. So that that's changed my life completely there. And the other thing is, and, and this is a good, it's a very good question because I hadn't expected um, and it's difficult for me to use this word because it's not really what I'm not, I'm not, I'm not haughty type of person, but it's difficult to, to, I hadn't expected to become, uh, a, a member, even though a lower member, if you like, I hadn't expected to become a member of the, I don't know what you might want to call it, a celebrity class of people who are sort of well-known in public eye. Hadn't expected that. I just thought, well, there's a book, you know, we sell a few thousand, it'll do all right. At least I've got that out of, out, out of the way. But it, I hadn't expected to become this uh, media interest person. And 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 what the publisher was very good, you know, he, he's John Blake's been around, you know, years and years and years, and he's published books about all sorts of people, and he, he knows what he's talking about. And he, he said to me, you know, your life will change. Um, once they've written about the book, they'll find other things to write about. And, you know, so-called friends at school will come out and say things that aren't true about you, and you'll get trolled all over the internet and all that stuff it's normal it's a sign that things that, that the book is success because people are talking about it but i hadn't expected any of that and i hadn't expected people that i spent time with at school to be so nasty about things but anyway uh, i'm not angry i'm not bitter i'm actually quite relaxed about it but it's something that i wasn't ready for i would say to you guys out there writing a book if it becomes something of a media interest, your life will change because it's like a turkey shoot. You know, you put your head up there and someone's going, ping, have a go. Yeah. For no real reason, you know. I mean, you know, I haven't, I haven't 
um, said anything bad about anyone in the book, but um, apart from the obvious, you know, that, you know, Don Palmer was a nasty bloke. He was a bad, bad guy. So it's not a problem saying that. Um, yeah. So there's any security or anything like that. Well, I'm, though, I mean, the, it's not really to say something live on a program like this to discuss my personal security, to be really honest, it wouldn't be appropriate. But it does change your life and you have to think carefully about what you're doing a little bit sure. and not for any other reason. But the fact is that the human psyche is, is, is a difficult thing to comprehend. But there are people out there that don't like other people being a success. And that is that becomes an issue and you just have to be a little bit more careful. I don't have any obvious, if you like, security. I don't need bodyguards standing at the door or anything like that, which I had in Spain. But um, I have to be a bit more sensible. You know, woke up on, I had a little doze on the beach, you know, on the old sunbeds with the wife the other day and somebody, somebody woke up, someone was taking a photograph of me. Uh, so I have to be a little bit careful about how I react to that because when you react to it, it goes online and all the rest of it. So you, it does change your life. Uh, now, look, let's be positive. Everyone that I know, and I, I mean this, everyone that I know that I've spoken to and the hundreds and hundreds of messages I get, they all say, amazing page turner. Can't can't put it down, you know, uh, it's a great book. And I was, like, really taken aback thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. And then there's few people who, to me, as obvious, they haven't even read the book, and they just trash it. Well, that's fine. Let them do it. I, it's not it's not something I'm going to get, you know, all worried about because it, it just means that there are people talking about it. Now, obviously, the, the, the matter that is obvious is that, um, you know, there's, there's this Colombian side to my family that I don't know for obvious reasons. As you can imagine, I'm an Englishman. Uh, well, they perceive it to be a a threat to their financial empire, no doubt. Well, what can I do about that? I've just written a book. Um, you know, uh, Uncle Roberto, is, you know, he sued, tried to sue Netflix because he wanted to own the rights to the word Escobar and all this stuff. You know, I don't know these people. I don't, I don't, I, they're nothing to do with my life. I'm just, I am, I've had this, you know, a connection and that's fine. And it's all in the book and that's fine. And I've not said anything bad about these guys. It's just part of life. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there are millions of people out there are adopted on that find out, you know, that the, I mean, I've got messages from people on my phone who, who are actually 100% sure they're um, illegitimate children of Don Pablo. I mean, the way he behaved, he would have had, you know, so there must be at least 20 kids out there that, that he's fathered, the way he behaved. And uh, for sure, and I'm in touch with two of them already, and it's quite interesting and quite exciting, you know. And when we get this COVID thing under control, it'd be nice to get together with some of these half-siblings. Mm. Um, I've got massive, you know, uh, opposition from uh, the half-brother that was per born within the marriage that Don Pablo had, but... That's normal. It's to be accepted and expected. You know, we, we all knew that would be the case. It's not a problem. It's just, 
it's just the way it is. You often get families in turmoil. I mean, the Escobar family, are all, look at the Jackson family, they're all suing each other and stabbing each other in the back over the rights to Michael's records. They're all, you know, at each other's throats. This is not the first family to be at each other's throats over a book or a rights to something or whatever. It's, just, it's not unusual in these situations because, you know, um, it, it is this book is going worldwide. I mean, you know, it, it will be translated into all different languages. It's it's having an incredible effect on the literary market, which, I, <laughs> to be honest, I, I'm, no, I'm no author, but I'm just quite surprised. It's quite incredible. Mm. Okay, so we'll come back to all the critics and the chit chat and the noise and the family yeah, nonsense. Because yeah. move away from good. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I'm fascinated by is uh, your um, adopted father um, told you in 1989, but you only wrote the book this year, and that fascinates me. That's a long time between finding out and yeah. so yeah, no. filling that gap. Yeah, well, you're you're wrong because I didn't I write the book this year, and I, I've already said in this interview that I didn't write the book this year. So um, I think okay. you'll, re you'll recall that actually relatively recently, probably only about four or five minutes ago, I said that it took me a long time. The process started in 94 with me writing down notes. You remember I said that earlier? Mm. And that yeah. is the process where it started the writing. So I've been writing this book, if you like, since 1994 but it wasn't a book it didn't start out as a book it hadn't intended i hadn't intended it to be a book it was just a process to get through the mental health you know they said go to art classes and i thought well i'll be the teacher because obviously i don't need to be taught how to draw so i went and they made me a teacher to help me with the therapy and i started writing down all these notes and probably my medical records, there'll be notes about the things I've said to them, I don't know. But, you know, a book starts with that. It starts with scraps of paper, in my case, in 1994. And so it's a long process, but I have to stop because I've got a two months in the mental health ward, can't deal with having to deal with my mother's death, stop, depression, start again. This goes on, and it's a process. It's a process that's part of my life i didn't just sit down and go once upon a time there were three bears and that's you know and that was it um, it was a long drawn out process of getting all this stuff out and then there's massive gaps when you're doing this and we didn't have the internet so these huge gaps that needed to be fill in, filled in with research which came later when we had the ability to do the research ourselves and not just trundle on down to the british library and suddenly conjure up all these details you you have that's all researchable and i and and so in the last um we have had the inter internet since the 90s, though, haven't we? It's not like we got it yeah, last year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the internet in the 90s in England, yeah. right? Uh, but when, you know, it, it's, you, you say we've had the internet, the average person did not have access to what you, you re I don't know, you might remember it used to be Ask Jeeves back in the very early days. And that was crap, you know, I didn't tell you anything. So, mm. uh, I, you know, there wasn't the access that we have now. So that's why it, in the last four or five years, it's been able to become a book. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, uh, and, and, and it's only in the last, uh, I don't know, I mean, I, you could, don't quote me on this exactly, please, whoever wants to troll me about this now. It's just... In the last five, I'm going to say five years, my wife will probably correct me, but in the last five or six years is when I've been able to actually sit down on this very same laptop we're talking on and actually start to write stuff. And, of course, bearing in mind that English is technically my second language, um, uh, you know, I, I still can't spell. 
And uh, thank God we've got these programs on our computers now um, that, that help with that. You know, Theosaurus, I can't even say it, Theosaurus, uh, uh, you know, this sort of thing. Because, you know, I used to come out every afternoon and say to my wife, right, I've written another page, you know, do you want to hear it? And, you know, she'd sit there and say, you've written disembarking four times on one page. You can't say that. And I'm thinking, well, everywhere you go, you're getting out of something or going somewhere or we came out of here and got into there. You run out of ways of saying these things. So Theosaurus helps with that, you know, because if you deliberately spell disembarking with three S's, it will come up with about 10 different options, which is quite useful. So that was very useful. But no, it's a massive process um, writing this book. For me, it was maybe some people just write a book in a year, but certainly not me. And if you look at the detail and the research of this book and all the dates and stuff, you can see that that's no way that's been written overnight. It took a long time. And yeah, gaps had to be filled. And that's where the, your editor, where the publisher provides you with, helps you. Yeah. You know, and uh, there are things about Don Pablo. I thought, well, I don't know anything about this guy. I'm crikey, what am I going to do? I'm going to write about him. And your and your and your and your researcher helps you there because they do all that research for you. See, that's that's the trick. That's the trick. You get people, good people around you, and they do all that work for you. Right. And was there a time then? So I get the long journey. Um, was there a time you said maybe in the last five years where you thought, yeah, this is actually going to become a book, and I'm going to launch it? Yeah. And 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 to be honest, that was when the time. The, 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 you know, there's not a hallelujah moment, but there's a moment where it dawns on you one day, shit, I've written a book. You know, I get to a stage where I looked up on Google what classifies as a book, and I think it said 40,000 words. I'm thinking, right, 38,000 words. I've still got a long way to go. Wow, this actually could classify as a book. I thought, well, no one's going to want this. It's just some mamberings and murmurings of some, you know, guy with all his memories. Uh, and uh, But, you know, if you see the asterisks on one page and they refer back to another moment and this stuff, those are things the editors help you with and they, and they help you turn it into the writings of a person with these memories and that. They help you turn that into what you see today, which is a book you can actually read because I, you know, my original manuscript, you know, it starts from day one and finishes today because <laughs> that's how I, I wrote the book, you know. Mm. But, you know, they, they turn it into something much more interesting, which is thank yeah. God because um, otherwise it wouldn't be a rightly marketable book that, that it is today. Mm. Okay. So um, why did you not just keep it all private? You know, was, was there some worries yeah, yeah. about sharing this to the world well yeah well yeah yeah um well i mean worries is not really the thing i think it's more um yeah apprehension uh but this is normal you know um an athlete before they come out onto the track they have this apprehension uh whatever you do i'm sure you know before some of your interviews you have a little bit of you know you know uh whatever there's that uh, and the realization that other people are going to be reading about your life is a bit, ooh, ooh. and there were moments where I just said, I didn't want to, I don't want to do this. Yeah. No, 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 let's not publish. There were moments and, you know, the publisher would tell you, there were, I had moments where I thought, shit, I don't want to publish this. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, they help you get over the line with that because there are moments seriously where you think, no, I don't, I don't want but they they help you get over the line and they manage and help you and they're managing it today you know they help there's this like screen of people that help you and 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 if you've got good publishers i mean they're not the biggest company in the world they're not like penguin or whatever but they're good people and they help they help shield you from you know the 
this sort of there are psychological trepidations if you like about publishing a book about your life and anyone who's written a book about their own personal life and you know what they did with their mom and dad or whatever will tell you is there are these moments where you think oh no I don't want to do this but yeah. then their publisher helps get it over the over the line you know and and that's what happened and they carry it with you you know you are, you become a team of people and it eventually becomes a a, a juggernaut that eventually you, you you don't you can't stop it just all just poof, <laughs> and you and then you get your box of 10 books you think bloody hell i've got a book what is this and it's funny because i actually um i've only ever read my book on on a computer uh, uh um because i didn't print it out uh, i only ever read it on a computer but when it arrived from the printers and you feel it and you hold it and you open the first page and you smell the paper and you think oh and i start reading it it's a totally different experience. It's really weird. It's almost like you're reading a book somebody else has written. It's very strange, very strange experience. So you've launched this book. It's gone wild, selling out everywhere. You're all over the media. And, of course, that's bringing out the critics uh, yeah. like we said before. What can you How do? does that make you feel when, you know, people are picking your story to bits, when old friends, family members, etc., are trying to discredit the story? How does that make you feel? Well, well, there's that saying, isn't there, you know, um, you keep your friends close to you, but keep your enemies even closer. Well, I didn't know that had a meaning, really. I just thought that was some just bullshit bloody thing. <laughs> but actually, there's a lot of truth in some of these sayings. And I thought to myself, and my publisher did say to me, warned me, he said, some people you think you're friends, they turn out not to be. And, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people will tell you exactly the same thing. You know, you you, you know, someone you you shared your life with, you know, they go to the newspaper and suddenly there's a lot of crap out there about you that you didn't even, you didn't even do, you know. So it's just part and parcel of, of this new life that I've got, which is a, a, a best-selling publisher, which, of course, I, I had no, I wasn't prepared for at all, because really mm. I'm just a, 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 an artist and I just get on with painting and, you know, sell to private collectors and, that and get on with my life. But this has changed my life. You know, it's going to become a movie absolutely almost 100 percent sure uh i can't say any more than that because we're in the middle of all that but you know this is incredible uh, i cannot understand how this little book that i've written has turned into such an amazing mammoth thing but you are right it brings out the trollers and it brings out all the you know people who are negative about it you know there's a couple of guys who i went to school with who i didn't know you know they were in a different year i mean but they, they make out they were my school pals you know that's a load of old rubbish but you know it's their moment they're having their bit of notoriety in the press good for them well i don't feel bitter towards them at all but you know uh, i have been warned that this would happen and and it's it has happened so what can you do but everyone who has read the book and I don't know, um, have you actually read the book, Rob, or just skim Yeah, it? I told you I'm waiting for it on Audible. Remember we had that conversation? Oh, yeah, that, yeah. yeah that's got to happen. That's got to happen. You know, they've got to get yeah. me to read. They've got to get me to read the book. And the COVID thing's caused that because normally they fly me into the studio as I was going to come into your studio, if you recall. They fly yeah. me into the studio and then you sit there for three days, you know, reading the book. 
and then they edit yeah. it all out and then you've got an audio so i don't know what they've got planned and when they're going to send me to a studio in the in, in the place where i'm living or, or, or what, what they're going to do but it's going to happen quite soon i know that the translation rights are coming that's that's quite exciting that's going to happen quite soon so it's going to come out in different languages and i know that it's going to be launched in america soon and all the rest of it but yeah i had not expected this and it has brought out trolls but on the other hand, it's brought out a lot of people that can empathize with the story of this little boy. And the one other thing that I did not expect, because when I was writing this book, I thought that this would be a book that wives or girlfriends buy their boyfriends and husbands for Christmas or whatever. Oh, yeah, man, book, you know. But no, this book has been read by thousands of women who empathize with the emotional problems that this chap has gone through. Uh, and, I, you know, I've had people come to me and say, I can really identify with the problems and that, you know, you're, you're a guy that is an example to us all to show us that we can actually make it in the world and go through all that shit and come out the other end and, you know, and, and, and turn that story of that man and the terrible things that he did and the things he caused um, in the world today, um, turn that into some money that will go into helping kids with, with these problems today. And, you know, I've signed a contract. I'm not just talking about it. I have signed a legally binding contract to divert funds from the book straight to these charities and it, i think that's important and it won't stop you know that's good that's going to carry on until the last book ever is sold <laughs> so, so when i announced this to my community um they were all really excited about it and everyone was like this is great but was what was weird that came out of the woodwork was a few people approached me you know people um who are sort of in your past um and, and they were like quite against it um, oh. One person told me that um, you, the date on company's house for your birth date right, didn't so add up with your actual yeah. birth date. Yeah. And, and so, I, I think, could you uh, sort of let us know what the discrepancy is there? Well, that's all in the book. As you well know, I've explained it. And but can you tell us? Because I've got a lot of people wanting to know. Well, they can read the book, can't they? But can you tell us? Well, I can, but what I don't want to do is get into something and then, because um, I'm actually a human being, despite what some people may say about me, and I have faults and I have uh, memory problems and I sometimes forget dates and times and all the rest of it, just like all of us. So the problem with sure. you putting me on the spot is that, you know, I'm going to say something and then 100,000 people go, well, that's not what he said in the book, you know, and all this sort of crap. I'm not going to fall into a trap where you're going to get me to say something and then I've got it wrong. So what I will say is... So it's your chance to have your say, isn't it? You know, this is your say. This yeah, is your chance. No, 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 no. I've had my say in my book. No, don't worry about that. That's going out around the world just like this, uh, um, this podcast. So I've mm. had my say in my book. I don't need to respond or defend myself. The book is is there. Uh, and I would say, if you have an issue and a problem about company's house, and you're talking about Orit. You're talking about Orit. Now, uh, let's get into this. Right? There's a bloke out there, right, who went uh, to out to Colombia. His father was working for my dad. He, they worked for the same company, and he's got a real problem with me, and he's got uh, some mental problems with this because he can't deal with the fact that uh, there are issues between my adopted father and his father, and, uh, and unfortunately, my father was his boss, and there were issues and problems which had to be dealt with at the time, and that bitterness and anger is still going on in this guy and he's contacting anyone he can, including you, and trying to slag it all off and make out this and that and the other. The issue about the dates is well covered in the book. 
and I'm not going to get into it right now. What I will say to you, just to sort of try and satisfy you so that you move on yeah, to something. It's an interview. It's your that, yeah. it's, no, it's not my chance to have a say because I've had my say in the book, right? That was my chance to have a say, and it was my chance to have a say with more passive, detailed uh, explanation. Now is just an interview where we're having a casual chat about my life. Um, the, the details about what happened and relating to my date of birth is all in the book, and it's to do with my father, uh, my adopted father, and his application for my British citizenship. But um, it's all in the book, and I'm not going to fall into the trap of making mistakes here today. Um, if someone wants to uh, find out all the details, read the book. Uh, and that, that's, it, that's simple. Um, now, I appreciate you asking me the question because it is, it is a thing that this Oric fellow wants to pick up on all the time because he wants to try and cause trouble. Well, you know, it, some people just get bitter and they get more and more bitter every day uh, and they try and try and try and try and cause trouble. You know, just, I just ignore him because he's just causing a lot of trouble. If he crosses the line, he, the authorities will deal with him, but he hasn't crossed the line yet. Okay. So um, there was a picture I saw um, where you had um, an o your dad's OBE, but th there was no we couldn't find any records of the yeah. OBE. So we're uh, back to the Oric issue again, yeah. Uh, well, we're I mean, back it's, to, it's the same guy. OBE or he didn't, I suppose. So well, it, it, yeah, it, yeah, well, I will, yeah, I will say this. So there's the same guy who picked me up on this. Uh, uh, you know, th this guy really has got some serious problems because uh, because of what happened to his father. In, in you know, um, I, I, what I will say about it, I'll, I'll answer your OBE thing in a minute because I I, I actually um, uh, realised um, that I mean there are two things. When I went to the house when my mother died, um, uh, you know how you look through the boxes and stuff, and which is quite a normal thing. And uh, the lawyers let me go to the house and pick up some stuff and what have you, and I did, and I found this medal and I thought nothing of it put it in the box took it home and uh, then I remember the time when Princess Anne came out to Columbia and awarded dad something I was only a small child and my godfather something and I put two and two together and I thought well this must be the case um, having said all that um, he, he, you are right it's not uh, in the Gazette and I don't understand whether that is an OB awarded to him or whether I, I don't I don't understand it. So immediately, and you'll notice that's not in the book, immediately I realized that it is possible that I was mistaken. If I am mistaken, I withdrew that comment and I don't have an issue with it at all. But sadly, this Auric fellow keeps going on about it, contacting everybody. He's a liar. He's this and that and the other. Well, you know, we all make mistakes. It's possible that Dad didn't get an OB. I don't know. Right. Mm. It's not in the Gazette. I don't know if they have a thing for overseas awards or whatever that isn't in the Gazette, something else. I don't know. I know that my godfather got an, an OBE as well. But I mean, you know, it's not recorded in the Gazette thing. So I don't understand that. It's not a problem. I don't have a hang up about it like this fellow does. And if you're listening, uh, John, you know, you just just you're wasting your time, mate. It's not a problem whether dad got an OBE or not. I don't, and it's not a problem. I don't care whether he got one or not. I did think that he got one. If he did, he did. If he didn't, he didn't. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It's nothing to do with the book anyway. So we're here to talk about the book and my life. Okay. So let's move on to the, your art part then. So <laughs> on your website, it says you're a modern master um, and you're an artist, I believe. So what is a modern master? Yeah. Yeah, so I was with a uh, uh, in the very early days of like websites and stuff. So we're talking about 
90 whatever sort of late late 90s or something like that i was with a friend who who um who knew more about computers and stuff than i did and we were just he said right i'm going to set up this thing called a website and i knew nothing about this stuff and 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 he said we've well, got to have a tag i didn't even know what that meant so <laughs> and he said well let's call you the modern master and i said well all right if you say so and so that's kind of just stuck that's all it doesn't mean anything really it just means that um uh, I, I, i'm a master of my trade and i've mastered it and um and i have mastered my trade it took me a long time to master it but now i can sit down and paint blah 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 it's not a problem and uh, I, I i do relatively well from it um but the name Modern Master is not something that I've awarded myself as some kind of, you know, big shot. It's not like that at all. Uh, it was a name that was used as a tag, apparently. I don't even know what a tag is, but it's something that you put on on the behind the scenes that, that I, I don't understand it. But anyway, it was that it was, it was a bit of a joke, to be honest. But it's stuck and it's still there. I mean, if it offends too many people, you know, I can take it off. But I don't see how that can be offensive unless you've got a problem. I was just, I was just fascinated. Um, so it also says, um, that you've got, you're the last disciple of the Reynolds family. Um, cause I know you want to talk about your art on the, on the show and not just the, the book, a generation of artists led by Sir Joshua Reynolds, the founding president of the Royal Academy of Arts in London. So can you tell us about that lineage, your, your family history with, um, well, it's not about, when you say lineage, it's about the art. It's not about genetic lineage. All right. There's a difference when you're describing art and the, and and your provenance in art. You don't dis, you're not talking about genetic lineage. So if this is the same guy coming back to you, we're trying Ooh. to find more problems. No, this isn't all about John Orrick. Just so you know, I have my own questions. Bloody John Orrick, keep on. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, it's amazing how many people believe this idiot. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, when you describe art. You describe people who've worked in the studio of, which is quite common. I worked in the studio of R.P. Reynolds, Roy Peter Reynolds. And Roy Peter Reynolds is the great, 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 great grandson or whatever, how many greats it is. I don't want to be shot out of the airplane because I've got too many greats in the great, but it's, it's so many greats, grandson of Sir, Sir Joshua Reynolds, and they are, and they were, you know, um, related. And, and Roy Peter Reynolds um, had a studio in Herefordshire. And I don't know, um, uh, dad being my adopted father, but they, he knew him, but he knew a lot of people. And he got me to uh, art classes. He, he got Roy to agree to um, teach me how to paint and draw, which is great. And so I went to work in his studio uh, from school. I used to cycle from my boarding school in Lupton School in Herefordshire. And um, it was a feral cycle into the countryside. And um, I used to cycle to his studio uh, twice mm. a week uh, for quite a long time until he had to go away and work in South Africa because he'd done some work for the police. Okay. So um, this is going to be sound like a random question, but it's just in my head. This isn't John, by the way. This is me. But you're sporting the moustache, and that obviously makes you look a bit more Pablo-esque. Have you always sported the moustache? Right. This is so, <laughs> so, yeah, from you, well, I mean, you know, uh, uh, um, what I will say is that um, you won't have pictures of me from when I was a very young adult, but I have photographs of me from when I was uh, fresh out of art school, and uh, I had a moustache. Mm. That's simple. I went through a period where I decided I didn't want to have a moustache. 
And that period was um, a period of about six, seven years. And it was mainly during the time when I was having uh, some mental health problems. And I just decided to share with Starfield. But um, then I just said, well, I'll go back to how I've always been. And, you know, most of the pictures of me with my children growing up, um, I've got a moustache. It's just I've always had a moustache since I've been an adult. There was a period of time, you know, in my life where I didn't have a moustache. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. Um, I could research it for you and get back to you if you want, but how many years it was. But it was it was a few years uh, where I decided not to have a moustache. I think it started with being in denial about the whole issue of being Colombian. And, everything. and uh, I went through this sort of denial period. And, um, uh, and But, you know, you must never forget who you are. And I've always had a moustache. Apart from that, yeah, I've been accused, and I know the question has a connotation to it. No, it doesn't. Uh, I've been accused of trying to do this and for marketing and all that. It's all bollocks. So I actually just have always had a moustache, apart from the time when I was in denial, which is about five or six years. But don't quote me exactly on that because I can't remember exactly. But there was a period of time where I shaved it off, and um, I, and it, you know, but I just decided at the end of the day to just grow it back. Mm. So, I mean, you've got, <laughs> yeah, if you think about it, you've got a life up to the age of 24, which you didn't know who your real dad was. And then a life after 24, then you didn't know who your real dad was. And then of course you've got your adopted dad. Um, and you, of course you've yeah. got your art career and now you've got this book. So do you think this has given you some kind of, um, imposter syndrome or, or how has it affected your identity of who you are? Well, well yeah, I, I, I absolutely resent that question, the way you put that in. You slipped that word in. Can you just All say right. that again? What why did you, you just say? That one? That's the softest well, one. Why, I've did you, why did you I mean, say imposter? I didn't know. Who why, where the hell did you get that? Well, I don't know. You don't I mean, have if to. You're, if you're trying to. No, you're trying to suggest that I've, I've got mental health problems and I've got. No, I would never do that. I'd never suggest that. That would well, be yeah, wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm care. Care. this. There, there are there are a lot of people out there that suffer from quite serious mental health problems, and it wouldn't be good to get involved in that area in a sort of a in a hostile in a hostile interview. Um, what I will say to you is that I've always had a a, a life that I've known about, which is unusual and not normal, if you like, in the sense of mm. a, a middle class Englishman growing up in England. It's just it's weird, uh, uh, but it is it's not uh, any anything to do with that uh, imposter, which is the word you use, which I take great offense to. I, I, I didn't call you an imposter. I said imposter syndrome. You no, know, you know, you're a professional and journalists do this as well. They're I'm not a sorry. journalist. I've never done any journalism in my life. No, but you behave like one sometimes. And I will say this. That, uh, I, I, will, I, I will say this. There is there is this other half to my life which is quite weird which I can't yeah. ever beat down now because I've written this book so there is this kind of double issue going on yeah but it's not a it's not a it's not a it's not a difficult thing to deal with it's just part of life and you just get on with it and um, a lot of people who have grown up abroad and then come back to England have this other life that they had in India or this other life that they had in South Africa and what have you. And it's all good. It can be a book, you know. A lot of people have written books about the time when they lived abroad and, and had a different life. I had a farm in Africa, you know. Uh, um, it, it, is, it is normal in the expat community to have had this other lifestyle. And, yeah, uh, which is the sentiment of the question. 
to help other people who might be wrestling with that conflict? Yeah, well, my advice would be if it's uh, only my advice, not because I'm a great expert, but because I've had all this experience of being in, uh, through going through the mental health uh, problems. Uh, my advice would be to just even if you don't intend to write a book about it, write it all down somewhere so that it gets out of your head. And then when you read it through, you're what you're doing is you're coming to terms with the stuff that you've written down. And so that it's now recognition syndrome. You recognize something before it was just in here. Now it's out there. You're reading it back to yourself and you think, shit, did I do that? Oh, crikey. And that's the, you become uh, a separate person to the problem. And then you, you can read through it and deal with it. And if you want to just delete it all afterwards, that's fine. In my case, it got put into a book. <laughs> mm. All right, look, we've been going for one hour, eight minutes, and I'm sure, you know, you've got many other interviews to do, Roberto. So thank you for your time. Um, your well, book, uh, can you just give us a final shout-out for your book and where we can get it? Uh, you can buy the book in most stores, in, uh, in, in, in most shops, but um, Amazon will sell it. Um, just look it up, you know. Um, there it is, written by Roberto Sendoy Escobar, which is my Colombian name. And it's, uh, you know, it's out there. Go and get it on Amazon and read it. Uh, listen, I will say, you know, just finally, look, I can live with any criticism. Once you've read the book, it's a free world out there. Read the book and then just, you know, say what you think about the book. All right. Um, and, and, and be constructive and, and sensible. Uh, and, and that's fine. We can all live with that. Not a problem at all. I just hope that you enjoy it. Buy it and enjoy it and get your money's worth. That's what you'll do. And then the movie will be out soon. So, well, the next five years. And you'll be able to watch that as well. Roberto, thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye.